So um, I will be sharing uh, mostly from Isaiah 6, 8. Uh, that verse is kind of the theme, although I'll be touching on a lot of different verses. So if you take notes, I hope you write fast. Um, because there isn't a specific focus as far as the Bible goes. This is kind of a topical message. Um, and it's interesting because it's one that Pastor Tim and I discussed several months ago, actually. And the more I prayed about it, thought about it, the Lord just began giving me verses. And I would write them down, and then just I, the notes started to grow. And then it kind of turned into to this. Um, And it's interesting because this is talking about, obviously, serving the Lord or service unto the Lord. And this isn't always the easiest thing to do. Um, it's certainly not always an easy thing to teach or to talk about. But it is a very important part of us living out our faith in Jesus Christ. So, oh, thank you, Nicole. See, I have to get used to this whole thing. So again, our title tonight in the time of God's word is Service Unto God, Isaiah Moment. First Peter says this, so First Peter 4.10, As each one has received a gift, minister it to one another as good stewards of the manifold grace of God. The Lord has given each and every one of us gifts not to um, take advantage of, not to do our own thing, but really to bring himself glory, to share with each other, to share with one another, and to share with the world. And as we're talking about service, obviously salvation is a big part of this, otherwise you're not going to be serving the Lord. And we say this a lot, but I also want to kind of set the record straight. We're not saved because of the good works that we do. I know everybody understands this, but I, I want to say it. There's every other religion that you can think of hinges their beliefs on service. And the fact that if they can do a certain amount, hopefully they can get into heaven. Because if you ask them, okay, you've done all these things, are you going to be in heaven? Oh, I don't know. It's still up to God. We don't have that kind of a relationship with Christ because our service is because we're saved. Ephesians 2, 8 and 9 says, For by grace you have been saved through faith, and not of yourselves. It is a gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. And Titus 3, 5 says, Not by works of righteousness, which we have done, but according to his mercy he saved us, through the washing of regeneration and renewing of the Holy Spirit. And there's a lot of other verses that talk about this. So we don't earn our way to heaven. It really is a wonderful gift from God. Ephesians 2.10 says, For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand, that we should walk in them. So there's the verses. It's not me saying it. It's God saying it. And Paul penned these verses by the leading of the Holy Spirit. And so if really, if anybody has any questions about these things, please don't hesitate to ask. 
be more than happy to have that conversation with you. So before we dive into the word, let's uh, just spend a quick moment in prayer and just pray that the Holy Spirit does a work tonight. Let's, back, let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, we are so grateful that you've allowed this time for us to be here. Lord, thank you for traveling mercies that everyone was able to make it out. We pray for those that are either on the way or even those watching from home. Lord, we pray that you would anoint this message, and truly, Lord, it would be you that we hear, not me. Remove myself from this, and Lord, just speak to us through your word. We pray, Lord, that you would go before us and ready our hearts, prepare us, each of us, Lord, for what we need to hear within your word. And Lord, give us the strength and the boldness and the courage to take that step of faith, Lord, to do and not just hear. Be in our midst, Lord, this evening. Lord, just do a work in each of our hearts. And Lord, as we do these things, may you receive all the honor and all the glory. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right, so this discussion really is about service that we perform on behalf of the Lord, those things he calls us into, but not necessarily our calling, all things, right? It might just be, hey, go to that person over there and, and say these things. It's all-encompassing, right? We're going to talk about all those things. Here's the fun part, though, guys. Before we talk about service, I do want to take a couple of minutes to talk about our reluctance to serve at times. And not ours in this church, but ours in the collective body of Christ. This isn't going to be the main focus, but really I would be remiss if I didn't at least mention it. There's a verse that I read some time ago. It's in Luke 13, 34. And I know you guys know this. It says, O Jerusalem, Jerusalem, the one who kills the prophets and stones those who are sent to her. How often I wanted to gather your children together as a hen gathers her brood under her wings but you were not willing. And I understand that verse isn't necessarily talking about serving. It's not the verse per se. It's the last five letters or words of that verse. But you were not willing. And I was thinking about as we take steps of faith, what is it that hinders our walk? And is it this problem? Is it because we're really not willing? Because if we say we can't do something or that we are unable to respond to our calling or to his service, is it really because we can't? If you think about this question, because if we say, no, we, we can, then what are we waiting for? If we say, no, it's not because we can't, then we should be able to say, here I am, send me. But if we say yes, we can't. Is it because God isn't worth the sacrifice? 
it's not worth what we might have to give up in return or what we, what we might have to go through. Or we're saying we can't because God isn't strong enough or he doesn't have the power to see this thing, whatever it is, get done. Have we forgotten that the Lord won't call us to do something that he isn't capable of finishing? And the last time I checked, nothing can stand in the way of the will of God. And so I think really the answer is choice. If we can, if we are able to serve, we're going to talk about what that looks like in a moment. But if we say we can't, it's not a matter of we can't because we're of him. It's because we're not willing. And it's not because we're not physically able to. We don't have time. We don't have the skill set. We don't have any of these things that we think we need because we know the Lord doesn't need any of those things. He'll provide those things. He just needs an obedient servant to say, here I am. If we can't, we don't because we made up our minds not to. And as a church, is this going to be our answer? And if it is, what is the condition of our heart? Where are we? As a church in general, this is where we are. This is why revival within the church needs to take place. We need to repent from where we're at. We need to ask God to forgive us of so many things and simply be obedient and do those things he's calling us to do. Now, don't get me wrong. There are things that people have good reason for not to do. If you really want to go on a mission trip, but you just broke your leg and you have a cast on, probably a good idea to stay home. Right, But that's not what we're talking about. We're talking about serving in some capacity that you know you can, but you're not. Any hindrance that stands before us and the Lord's are placed there by, or the Lord are placed there by the enemy. Remember, in whatever God is calling us into, He already knows we'll be successful. He knows we'll reach the other side. That's why He's calling us. Never mind that His idea of success is probably very different than ours, and often very different. What's important is that He has equipped us, or is is equipping us for everything he's calling us into. It really is simply a matter of how we respond. It's choice. Joshua 24, 15, very known verse that says, and if it seems evil to you to serve the Lord, choose for yourselves this day whom you will serve, whether the gods which your father served that were on the other side of the river or the gods of the Amorites, in whose land you dwell. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. And that's where we're at. hate to start off with such a fun topic of not serving, but I think in this church we see a lot of service, and it's really encouraging. So let's not talk about that part of it, that part of it's done. It is choice, and as we talk about service unto the Lord, there's really four major aspects that I see. And this really, thinking about this, uh, Pastor Tim did a teaching April 28th, um, 
is on John chapter 13, and it was the last part of his uh, Resurrection Sunday teaching series. And it kind of takes off from where that left off. His last bullet point was our response. And to quote Pastor Tim, he said, let's follow his, as in Christ, let's follow his advice, his example, and his instructions. And when we think about serving, let's think about it in the context of Philippians 2, 14, and 15. Do all things without complaining and disputing that you may become blameless and harmless children of God without fault in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation among whom you shine as lights in the world. As we serve the Lord, remember we do that in the right heart. So these four things. Right. The first is the calling, the preparation, performing, and then restoration. And under restoration, there's really three kind of sub-bullets, rest, reflection, and refine. And just to use some corporate gifts. As we think about these things, understand that as we apply them, these are always ongoing, right? The Lord is telling us, go here, there, and we have to prepare and do that. We're obeying to the calling. And as we do these things, we then need to rest. And then he calls us to the next thing and the next thing. And as we do these things, we become more trusting. Our faith grows. Our spiritual maturity grows. We grow in him. And even if we are doing the same calling, if you have the same calling for 30-plus years, how you do it and what you're doing changes. The faith and the steps of faith that you take as you do these things grows, increases. So your calling may stay the same, but your, your relationship with Christ grows. And so our first point, a calling. You have to understand that we all have a calling. It's just not the same. Paul, in the letter to Ephesus, penned this. He said, And he himself gave some to be apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, some pastors, teachers, for the equipping of the saints, for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ. And let's look at what he says. He names a couple of professions here. And those that are mentioned are for the purpose of the equipping of the saints, for the work of the ministry, and for the edification of the body of Christ, which is us. And when you read that, if you think, well, I'm not an evangelist, I'm not a pastor, I'm not any of these things, so how does this verse apply to me? How can I help? And this is really such a great calling. To answer these questions, I want to first look at who God is calling for the many things he directs. And the first example is in 1 Samuel. In 1 Samuel chapter 16, we read how God sent Samuel to the house of David's father, Jesse. And listen to what God said to Samuel. For I have provided myself a king among his sons. Listen to that verse. Isn't that incredible? God already did the work. 
He didn't say, I'm going to. He said, I did. I have provided myself a king among his sons. And this specific calling was for one of the sons of Jesse. But this calling isn't, but this calling is from God. And all he did was use Samuel to send the message. And at this point in time, this is exactly what God called Samuel to do. And remember how when the selection process was underway, Samuel was looking over each of the brothers of David, paying close attention to their physical stature. These men were strong warriors, some of them. And many of the, they had many of the attributes that we hold tight to in this world, right? Some of the, a lot of the things that we say, this person will make a good leader because, right? These other sons had these same attributes. And yet they weren't the right men. Samuel saw one of the sons, Eliab, and said, this has got to be the one based on his outward appearance. But remember what God told Samuel. Do not look at his appearance or at his physical stature, because I have refused him. For the Lord does not see as a man sees, for man looks at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. So God was looking for somebody very specific for this job. In verses 10 through 12, he says, And Jesse made seven of his sons pass before Samuel, and Samuel said to Jesse, the Lord has not chosen these. And Samuel said to Jesse, are all the young men here? And then he said, there remains yet the youngest. And there he is, keeping the sheep. And just as this continues, first off, God has already done the work. He's already chosen somebody. And he's also telling Samuel who he hasn't chosen. And he's about to tell him, who he has chosen. All Samuel has to do is be obedient. He doesn't have to do the work here. God's already done it. And I don't want to add anything to Scripture here, and I'm not going to, but it almost, you get this sense of, in this response, like, what's the use? He says, the only one on the left is the youngest. Right? Like, like, he has any idea of, like, age plays into what God wants to do, right? And then he says, there he is, tending a sheep. And the same thing as, as if occupation matters in what God is calling somebody to do, right? We think we understand these things, but we don't. He's very dismissive in his response, Right? He really says, look at these other sons. These are, these are big guys. These are strong, experienced. You know, these are the people that you need. But we know that, he's, that he was looking for somebody. And then Samuel said to Jesse, send and bring him, for we will not sit down until he comes here. So he sent and brought him in, and now he was ruddy with bright eyes, good looking. And the Lord said, arise, anoint him, for this is the one. This is such a beautiful picture of just obedient service to the Lord. He has given us direction every step of the way. And we just have to do such a small piece of what he's calling. He's already done the work. I do find it comical in some respects when great men that we read about in the Bible, their response to the calling that God has given them. In Jeremiah uh, chapter 1, 
verses 4 and 5. Then the word of the Lord came to me, saying, Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. Before you were born, I sanctified you. I ordained you as a prophet to the nations. And look at his initial response in verse 6. Then said I, Ah, Lord, God, behold, I cannot speak, for I am a youth. doesn't matter. Moses, we know in Exodus chapter 3 at the burning bush, this incredible exchange takes place between a man and, and God. In verse 9 it says, Now therefore, behold, the cry of the children of Israel has come to me, and I have also seen the oppression with which the Egyptian oppressed them. Come now. Therefore, I will send you to Pharaoh, that you may bring my people, the children of Israel, out of Egypt. In Moses' response in verse 11, But Moses said to God, Who am I that I should go to Pharaoh, and that I should bring the children of Israel out of Egypt? And God responds in verse 12, He said, I will certainly be with you, and this shall be my sign to you that I have sent you, when you have brought the people out of Egypt. You shall serve God in this mountain, on this mountain. And you guys know the rest of the exchange here, but God said something in that verse that should have stopped any other conversation on, on Moses' behalf. What did he say? He said, I will certainly be with you. Isn't that wonderful? He calls us, he guides us, and he's with us the entire time. It seems very easy when you explain it that way. There's also Jonah. We're learning about Jonah in our regular Wednesday service. Jonah got the calling, go to Arise, go to Nineveh. Jonah's response in verse 3, he fled to Tarshish. He didn't even say anything. He just split. There was no conversation. He's like, I'm out. And it's, I, I love these examples because it allows us to see a couple of things we see man's very tiny view uh, and understanding, really, of service. What it is, who's qualified. We attribute our social norms and requirements into what we think qualifies us. We look at things like outward appearance, abilities, education, or lack of it, talents, physical strength, and so on and so forth. We let things like fear, anger, resentment, even unbelief cloud our judgment. We can't be, he can't be a missionary. He lacks the funds to go anywhere. He can't be a pastor. He doesn't have a seminary degree. Even in the world, we have this bias. I'm not going to mention mine, but we can all think back in our years and think there were times where somebody said, I really want to do this, and our gut reaction was, you can't do that. We have no idea what the Lord can do. But God sees the heart. All he needs is someone obedient and willing to be sent. 1 Corinthians 1, 26 and 27 says, For you see your calling, brethren, that not many wise according to the flesh, not many mighty, not many noble are called. But God has chosen the foolish things of the world to put to shame the wise. And God has chosen the weak things of the world to put to shame the things which are mighty. God uses whom he chooses and doesn't use what we think are the ideal candidates for the job. 
And we all have a calling. Brand new in the faith, we have a calling. We are called to share him with all the people he puts in our path. He gives us a testimony. And as we mature in the faith, he calls us in other ways. Some do missionaries, evangelists, pastors, elders, deacons, ministry leaders. And maybe he's called you to support those in the field through prayer, financially, organizing, equipping, and the list goes on. Wherever, in whichever way the Lord is calling each of us, it is individually. Understand that we're all still members of the same body. And although it may appear that what we're doing is independent from one another, it's really working for him, for his will. And we're doing these things to bring him honor. Romans 12, 4 says, As far as we have many members in one body, but all the members do not have the same function. Each of us in the body of Christ supports the entire body of Christ. And Ephesians 4, 1 says, I therefore the prisoner of the Lord beseech you to walk worthy of the calling with which you are called. Walk worthy of the calling. What in the world does that mean? We don't have time to go over here. But I do suggest a good family devo time to talk about what it means to have a walk worthy of the calling. He will give you everything you need, the strength, the courage, the wisdom, everything to accomplish the work he set before you. And this brings us to our second point, preparation. This is the biggie. Preparation is needed for everything, and it's hard. Professional athletes prepare all the way up until retirement. Musicians are always preparing, practicing. Military special forces are always preparing for battle. I was recently talking to a brother, and we were talking just about how as you prepare for whether you played sports and through school, college, you know, MMA fighters prepare for a fight, very seldom do you show up to the game on game day 100%. You're bruised, you're battered, you're cut, pulled muscles. Preparation's hard. You know, much like any of these professions, you have to do these things so you don't lose ground. Preparation for the service of the Lord, you may say, it's not going to deprive us of sleep, food. We're not going to break any bones. We're reading the Bible. Our brothers and sisters in Christ in many countries, ask them what preparation looks like, what their relationship with Christ looks like. Very same. And while most of us won't face these types of things, it doesn't mean that the enemy is less evil or persistent. He never rests. The enemy is relentless in his attacks, his traps, his blaming, accusing. He's going to do anything and everything he can to get us off track. Make, make, make us feel like we can't continue, like we don't have it in us. We're not smart enough. We're not strong enough. We may even try to use the word of God against us. Oh, you're a man of God, are you? You're meek. You're weak. But I love it because meek doesn't mean weak. And you're far from weak when you're standing as a soldier for the, for the 
glory of God, filled with the Holy Spirit, you can overcome anything. So you better believe that preparation for service to the Lord, it really is preparation for battle. So what does this preparation look like? I'm going to answer that question with a question. What does our walk look like? And you ask yourself, what in the world does my walk have to do with preparation? Really, it's everything. Are we reading and studying the Word of God? Are we in prayer? Do we attend men's, ladies' corporate prayer time? Do we attend Bible studies? Do we have accountability partners? Are we being discipled? Are we making disciples? Do we attend, attend church regularly? Are we leading our homes in the way we're called to? Do we have family Bible study time? Are we lights and witnesses where the Lord has us? How do we respond to the issues at work? What words do we use to describe something that is painful or exciting? How do we react to frustrating situations or to those times where we could become angry? Are we purposeful in those things we do unto the Lord? Are we making time for him? This is how we prepare. Along with performing our jobs the Lord has blessed us with, and we do those to the best of our abilities, and you think, well, how does doing what I do help prepare me for service unto the Lord? Well, you wouldn't get that pretty graph that you saw. Now, Joseph uh, was a shepherd David was a king, but David, before he became a king, led people. I'm sorry, he led sheep. And as a shepherd, he met and faced many things that actually prepared him for the things he would face as a king. Same thing with Joseph, sold into slavery by his brothers, wrongfully imprisoned for many years. And think about all the things that took place. And you read that story and you think, man, that is so sad. But God was preparing him. He had a purpose. And Joseph, having faith in the Lord, came out the way the Lord needed him to. And if you're wondering what a shepherd has to do with leading people, have you guys ever looked up what a shepherd does? If you haven't, do it. You're going to understand. And if you're still not sure when you get to heaven, ask these guys. Now, this preparation is different for everyone, and it's not easy. God doesn't ask our permission for the things he allows to come against us. He doesn't sit us down and explain why something's going to happen or why something's happening, why we're going to face the trials that we face. We simply need to trust that as we face these things, he will get us to the other side. Could this trial be yet another step in that preparation that's necessary for the greater work in his service? Remember when the 12 disciples were called into service for the Lord, we take notice of their response to this, the three years of preparation they had with Jesus and Christ himself and then the Holy Spirit. We think about the sons of Zebedee we read about in Matthew chapter 4, verse 21 and 22. Going on from there, he saw the two brothers, James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, 
in the boat with Zebedee, his father, mending their nets. He called them, and immediately they left the boat and their father and followed him. Going on from there is a reference to Jesus prior to that in the Sea of Galilee, saying to Peter and Andrew, follow me and I'll make you fishers of men. Peter and Andrew immediately left their nets to follow Jesus. James and John immediately left the boat and their father to follow Jesus. Their calling took them away from everything they knew and begun to prepare them for the ministry that Jesus called them into. Their profession prior to Jesus coming and calling them into service helped them prepare for these things. And those around you may not understand this calling. There was no explanation given to Zebedee. The sons simply got up and left. One minute they were there, and they were gone. And as you are called, because we serve the same God, and this is important to think about, the same Holy Spirit leads us, the same Holy Spirit speaks to us. As these callings go and as he guides us, those around you will actually confirm those callings. And sometimes they actually know about those before you do. They just see it. That brings us to performing. Nope, wrong way. When we look at performing his will, we take a look at the book of Acts to see some examples. We look at the major and minor prophets. In many places throughout the Bible, we see examples of service unto the Lord. Even Adam was tasked with naming the animals. Something to keep in mind regarding serving. Mark 10.45 tells us, For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve, and to give his life a ransom for many. Jesus really is our example. And if he served, we definitely can serve. And in serving... Do so with the right heart that serve God for his glory, not recognition for man. We're familiar with Matthew 6, 1 through 4. Take heed that you do not do your charitable deeds before men to be seen by them. Otherwise, you have no reward from your Father in heaven. Therefore, when you do a charitable deed, do not sound a trumpet before you as the hypocrites do in the synagogue and in the streets that they may have glory from men. Assuredly, I say to you, they have their reward. But when you do a charitable deed, do not let your left know what your right hand is doing, but your charitable deed may be in secret, and your Father, who sees in secret, will himself reward you openly. Galatians tells us, For you, brethren, have been called to liberty. Only do not use liberty as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love, serve one another. We don't know what service unto the Lord means for anyone but ourselves unless the Holy Spirit gives us discernment for somebody else. But we are all called to perform different functions. The Holy Spirit used Paul to pin how these things in 1 Corinthians 12 um, by using the body, human body as an example. We don't have time to go there, but, but read 1 Corinthians chapter 12. It really puts all this into perspective.
Never look at someone else's walk or calling and envy that. And think, man, that's what I want to do. Never think that service unto the Lord is not necessary or that the scope of what you, he called you to do is too narrow. If God said go and share, you don't have to get into a Bible debate with them. God may just be saying, go and tell them I love them. Invite them to church. Give them a track. Give them a glass of water. Give them some food. You don't know what God is going to do with that person. There isn't anything that is too small or too big. And if the Lord gives you something that you share with the church leadership and you say, hey, listen, the church, the, the Lord has given me this and I think we should be doing something like this. This is where I want to serve, the capacity I want to serve. If the church leadership says, hey, that's wonderful, but if you're willing to serve, here's really, really where we need you. It's not, please don't take that as you're shutting you down. Nope, you're not worthy. It's, maybe it's not the right timing. Maybe the Lord would have another step be done first. We don't know. If you come to the church leadership and say, here's what the Lord wants me to do, chances are they're already going to know. They're gonna, there's a need. They're going to say, well, great, because we've been praying about that, so let's talk about that. You're going to know. James 2, 14 through 17 says, What is a prophet, my brethren, if someone says he has faith but does not have works? Can faith save him? If a brother or sister is naked and destitute of daily food, and one of you says to them, Depart in peace, be warmed and filled, but you do not give them the things which are needed for the body, what does a prophet? Thus also faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. Faith and works are intertwined with one another. Faith and works are bound. This is Charles Spurgeon. Faith and works are bound up in the same bundle. He that obeys God trusts God. He that trusts God obeys God. He that is without faith is without works. And he that is without works is, what, is without faith. Oswald Chambers said, Faith never knows where it's being led, but it loves and knows the one who is leading. And Scott recently taught on how faith drives action. It absolutely does. Service unto the Lord is one that is filled with faith that the Lord can perform what we cannot. Run out of time, guys. I'm trying to scale back here. I'm not going to have time for that. All right. The, the last one. Oh, my goodness. Restoration. And again, we have rest, reflection, and refine. Spurgeon said, rest is not waste time. It is economy to gather fresh strength. It is wisdom to take occasional furlough. In the long run, we shall do more by sometimes doing less. Galatians 6, 9 says, Let us not grow weary while doing good, for in due season we shall reap if we do not lose heart. We can never allow the enemy to gain a foothold in what we do for the Lord. He has a way of twisting these things meant for good to a self-serving way. And when this happens, we can get cynical. We can even give up and stop trying. 
And some principles of rest, spending time with the Lord daily in prayer, join a prayer group, a Bible study. And I love it because if you think about some of these principles, they're the same as we see for preparation. Lord, the God, God can simultaneously give us rest and prepare us with the same function. I have to close, guys, because we are running out of time. But I want to close with this. I want to give you guys an example. Sometimes when we're thinking about <clears throat> serving the Lord, we're thinking about even maybe the, the needs in the church, it's sometimes hard to put to apply that. And so I want to tell you guys a story that I actually told Zach, my son, years ago um, when I was serving in Bonaire and was one night we had to get ready to go. And he's like, why do you have to go? And so I'll tell you the story. And I could have said, well, son, because we're called to. It's in the Bible. We need to go and serve. That would have been true. But he was at a point in his age where he wouldn't have understood that. And so I told him this story. <clears throat> when I was in school, I had this friend. And as parents, we all remember, and even as being kids, we, we had friends that our parents liked. We had friends that our parents didn't like. And they thought they were a bad influence. They thought, you know, many things. And I had a friend like that. And they thought that he was a really bad influence on me. I used to get in trouble when I hung out with him. Now, my parents had it wrong. He wasn't a bad influence. Just together, we made really bad choices. <laughs> and so one of those bad choices was I was a teenager, and we were sitting around his house one night, and we had this great idea to go and say, borrow a car. We borrowed a van. And then we drove this borrowed van to a construction site to um, use some material that um, wasn't ours. And so we went to the site, we, we filled it up, and then because we're greedy, we said, well, this isn't nearly enough, let's go back. And so we get back in the van, drive back down to the, the site, we did this three times. Well, unbeknownst to us, the first time we went, the neighbor who lived closest to the construction site saw the lights from the car and thought, well, that's weird. It's late. Why are they there? But I think they assumed that it was one of the workers there had, had left something. Well, when they saw the lights the second time, they got suspicious to call the police. And so the third time when we showed up, we had about half of LAPD waiting for us. In the neighborhood I grew up in, it wasn't uncommon to see a lot of police cars. It was the amount of police cars that we saw that was in the, pro the close proximity to us that scared us. <laughs> so we, we knew we were caught, and <clears throat> it was bad. It was one of those things that you see, like, on cops or something, where, you know, driver, get out, and you got to walk backwards. <clears throat> that was us. And... Um, you know, we, they first, they put us in two different police cars and asked all the questions, you know, how old are you? Are you old enough to drive? Whose van is this? Normal questions you ask. And then, then they put us in the same car. And when my friend got in the car, he was crying. I said, why in the world are you crying? 
I said, I have to go home to my stepdad. My stepdad was very, very strict. I should be crying. And it's funny, I wasn't even sad or, or scared. I was actually angry because I thought, why couldn't that neighbor just mind their own business? Yeah. <laughs> so anyway, the, the police somehow got in contact with the foreman of the construction site. They contacted the owner of the van and Lord's Protection, they, they said, look, if nothing's damaged, we're not gonna press charges. They're kids doing dumb things. Different time, but definitely the Lord's protection. And so we returned everything, and then we got in different cars, and they, they drove us home. And when I walked into my house, uh, it was late by now, and my mom and my stepdad were on the couch watching a movie. And when I came in, you know, they had these big smiles on their face. And then comes in Officer 1 and Officer 2. <laughs> and those, those smiles went away, and my stepdad was like, hey, do you guys want a drink? No, they don't want to drink. And then all eyes were on me. Everybody was staring at me. And I was like, well, here's, here's what happened, you know, parents. And so I told them the story. And they weren't very happy with me. But I had a lot of nerve because, you know, the police left. I go and sit down on the couch next to my parents to watch whatever movie they're watching. And my mom just, no. That's all she said, no. And my stepdad was so mad. He couldn't even talk. He just pointed to my room. And so I went to my room. And at the time, my room was on the side of the house next to the driveway. And as I went into my room, I could still hear the police get into the car. And one of the guys was like, man, I kind of feel sorry for that kid. Did you see the size of his dad? Like, Thanks, guys. <laughs> and so Monday at school rolls around. I see my buddy, and he runs up. And he's like, so what happened? And I was like, well, I'm grounded for like six months. And I, I really was. I was grounded for six months. And... Um, I was like, but, you know, it, they're fine. They're, you know, they're not too angry. I said, what about you? He's like, well, my mom was too drunk to even wake up. She was passed out. So she doesn't even know what happened. And my mom's boyfriend was too high. He doesn't remember the police even being there. And me being a kid was like, man, you're so lucky. Because you're thinking about, you know, you didn't get in trouble, not realizing what he had just told me. And, I, and I'll never forget this. He said, am I? Am I lucky? At least you know your parents love you. And to hear a young boy say that, a teenager to say that, it, it, I didn't have any words. It broke my heart. And so I told Zach when he asked me why we have to go to Bonaire, I said, that's why because we serve a heavenly father who does love people. And people need to know, because there's a lot of people out there who don't think or don't have family or people that love them. And they need to understand that they have a heavenly father that does. That's why I have to go to Bonaire. That's why we have to serve. So I hope that just in closing, guys, I know it was kind of rushed at the end, and I apologize for that. There's, there's so much here. Um, if you are in a place where you have been kind of, and we've been talking about this, Pastor Tim has been talking about this, where you're just kind of skirting, and you're hesitant to take that step of faith, lay those things before the Lord. Trust that whatever he has for you is exactly what you need to be doing. 
And as we read, he's going to go with us, right? You don't have to go this alone. And he's already done the work. He simply needs someone to say, I'll go. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you for this time. We thank you for your word. We thank you for the work that you continue to do in us, through us. Lord, forgive us where we are disobedient. Forgive us, Lord, where we are hesitant to trust. Lord, our faith is not there. We pray, Lord, that you would forgive us of those things and fill us with the power of your Holy Spirit, Lord. Remind us, Lord, of your love and your strength, your grace. And so, Lord, we ask tonight that you would give us eyes to see all of those people that desperately need you, Lord. Give us ears to hear of the many situations, Lord, where we can come alongside and just be a light and a witness. Give us the courage to do these things, Lord. Give us the strength. Equip us for every good work, Lord, that you want to do in us and through us. And may you receive the honor and the glory, Lord, that you deserve. We thank you and we love you, Lord. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.